Wait a minute. You actually did research for this? Brian, Big, you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're affecting the art form here. That's the whole... You're screwing the whole, up our format, man. That's the man. whole gag. That's the whole essence of our show. We don't study at all. Now you're actually going to study? No, no, no. That's cool. You never studied. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so much, so much, so much, so much material on Dune. Not, and that's just like, just this book. <laughs> I'm scared to do, to do more. Can I just say <laughs> off topic, sort of off, off topic, but the hat, the, what I'm doing to that, what was it? Popcorn, that bucket of popcorn. Oh God, that, that was that, so that, funny. Like, <laughs> just like you already know what I'm doing to that, that popcorn, popcorn bucket. bucket. <laughs> oh, so God. good, I love yeah. It. The the popcorn bucket, like the memes alone of the popcorn bucket. Not even mm-hmm. like there have been like Dune memes like crazy for the last few weeks leading up to the movie, but just the 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 popcorn bucket ones alone are so freaking like. And then you have all the stuff with Zendaya. She, yeah, she came out with that suit. <laughs> It's just it's it's been absurd. I just can't wait to be like, guess what? We're Dune tonight, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And just I need I need that hat. And then of course, people will just roll their eyes or look at me and be like, "Oh my god, please go back to whatever hole you crawl out of." (laughs) It's so ridiculous. (laughs) But anyway, I digress. Yeah. So I have I no I I have ton tons of material uh, to get through if at all possible. I will cover what I can and. I would also like to off the bat for for anybody listening that is specifically a fan of the Villeneuve take and like hasn't read the book or seen anything prior to that, like the Lynch version or the miniseries or anything. There will be plot points that will definitely be touched on in Villeneuve's part two. So if you're looking to not have that movie spoiled for yourself, I say give us a week, wait on it, sit on it, come back to us once you've seen it over the weekend. Yes. Or, or whenever you um, see it, just come back to us. Just... Just come back to us. I, I assume that people that are that excited and that worried about spoilers will be seeing it over the weekend. <laughs> fair, fair enough. But yeah, the, I did like Sh- Timothy Chalamet had it in an interview. He was talking about where he he blew one of the major plot points of the book in the interview. And they're like, can, can you say that? He's like, the book's been out for like 60 years. <laughs> if you haven't read it at this point, it's on you. <laughs> and I was like, that's that's my stance. That's where I'm taking yeah, on it. So. That's fair. So, yeah, that that being said, we will be getting into some stuff. This, all right. This all week. right. Getting into some stuff here. I like it. Yeah. So it goes without saying we, we touched on it a little bit last week, but this is definitely like the most influential of science fiction available. Yes. I, I feel confident of saying. I mean, definitely. It, it has, definitely one of the top ones. Oh, it has just wormed its way through pop culture like crazy in ways that can't even really be true. I didn't even mean to do that. (laughs) I didn't even mean to do that one. Uh, Sorry. Oh, God. This is going to be good. (laughs) All right. But yes, yes, it has. Yeah, it's. It, I I did. Wa- I watched that. I talked a little bit last week about the Yodorowsky documentary, and even just that take and how that take impacted pop culture. And that's not even the case of the novel itself. It's like, there's there's so many different facets and ways that this has impacted pop culture, and it's driven science fiction probably more than two thousand one. You know, which was our second episode we talked. I I personally think so. I think Ooh, it's kind that's... of been more. It's been more in the back end of things. I actually think that 2001 was largely impacted by this in terms of the film, not the book. Yeah, okay. Interestingly enough, bringing up Arthur C. Clarke, Denny Villeneuve announced that he's interested in adapting an Arthur C. Clarke movie. Mm, wait, which one? So, actually, look that up me a second. I, 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 when I was looking at it, I was like, you should write, you should write this down, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So. Huh. It's not it's not a big deal. I was just curious if you knew. No, it is a big deal. It's worth mentioning. <laughs> it's Rendezvous with Rama. 
Oh, uh, okay, okay. I've never, never, never read that one. But yeah, have, neither have I. So I'm, I, I have, I'm thinking I'm putting it on I my reading the list. the title. Yeah. So that one's where I'll be interested to see what he does with that. I'm interested to check out the book and learn mm-hmm. some more. But uh, Villeneuve is a is a continuously rising star in filmmaking. I mean, Agreed. he's he's around to stay, it seems. But yeah, and going back through what we were talking last week, yeah. the I was thinking a lot about the Butlerian Jihad, and I, I know I've probably slammed it to death at this point, but it, I do consider it a big center point of the themes and yeah. the general atmosphere of Dune. And I realized we didn't really talk about the punishment for mm-hmm. bringing about a machine in the likeness of a human mind, and it is immediate death. <laughs> I, I was thinking of the, the Parks and Rec bit where they're like, you go right through Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, yeah, like just, they, they just kill you immediately. Just no immediately. question. They're <laughs> just like, forget it. Right through jail. And a uh, couple other things, we had talked about various versions of spice refinement and versions of the drugs that are made out of spice. And there's there's an endless amount of variants throughout the books. Yeah. But Safu juice specifically is what the Mentats utilize. And in the books, it's like denoted that their use is indicated by like an orange like hue around the mouth Mm -hmm. and the Villeneuve take, they kind of altered that and it's like a black line down the lower lip, but yeah, various takes like that. The the Mentats like also achieve like so many other organizations achieve their actual power through use of spice. So like without spice, the whole system collapses. (laughs) Like it's, it is the key to everything. Well, I mean a lot of things, a lot of societies you think about can be built around one or just a few things and you need, but just, pull that out and it's like what happened the whole the whole tower of cards collapses yeah i mean like think about it if we if you just took away electricity from our world right now or if you just took away yeah even just computers like we still have electricity but let's just take away computers no no a lot of people talk about like us being unplugged or you know being hit with an emp it would just it would destroy everything yeah there's there's always those things that you can build it you're always what's the word the pendulum can swing both ways is essentially what yeah. I think I'm getting at. Yeah, we were talking. We were talking about how we both have done a good, fair bit of research for these last two episodes. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help but laugh. I was actually thinking about it today. <laughs> I was looking up concept art for the original novels, and it popped into my head <laughs> Jermaine Clement from Gentleman Broncos yes. coming in, talking about his concept art. And I was, <laughs> I was like, they were definitely thinking about Dune when they made that in Gentleman well, Broncos. Pro- I, probably, like, probably. Because I, I think Dune has, like, some of the most absurd-looking <laughs> cover art sci-fi novels, like, ever. <laughs> At least, like, there, there's been, like, endless publishings over the years. So there's, like, a million different variants of each novel. Yeah. So just, like, just like Googling them and looking through them all. It's just, like, somebody was a Dune fan when they were... <laughs> probably Jared. Jared <laughs> Hess was a fan of We can take a humdrum title such as Dune and... <laughs> and make it something incredible. Like this. Dune erroneous. And it's that simple. Dunlonia. Dunlonia. And there it is. <laughs> and there it is. And it's that simple. I, I am a sandworm, and I have had a bunch of sand cubs. I have birthed a litter of worm cubs. <laughs> uh, I love it. Such a good movie. Yes. Yeah, if you are if you are a Dune book enthusiast, I can think it's pretty safe to say you'll find that movie hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, our first big plot point, last spoiler warning I'm going to give. If you're worried about such things, please vacate the room. Um, the One of the big points of the novel is that at the end of quote-unquote book one, the first half of the first novel, we learn, the big reveal is that we learn that Paul is actually half-hearken. He is... 
the emergent the merging of the like the 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 what's the meme of the, the like the guinea pig or the gopher snaps around oh yeah yeah, yeah. The, the hand yeah i know what you mean but so the, the yeah that's like the big revelation in that the and it's been like in the books it's more subtly led up to that like the Kwisatz Haderach would have to be emergence of House House Harkonnen and House Atreides in some form. And this is the big reveal that Je- Lady Jessica herself is from Har- House Harkonnen and has been deceiving House Atreides. Mm-hmm. From, from in her mind, down. she's not so much, she's not really deceiving them as much as House Atreides perceived it. Yeah. She's just merely in love with Duke Leto Atreides. Yes. And that's also why she defies the Bene Gesserit because she wants him to be happy. She gives him a baby boy. So there's a there's a lot to all that. And like every other facet of Dune, there's like 15 redundant layers of complexity to every plot point that I don't have the time to get into. <laughs> <laughs> well, there again, um, that is that quality of just a simple choice and decision changes everything you know, in the way that it was planned out to be. Now, okay, having, I always took this too a little bit in in Lady Jessica's standpoint. I I mean, like, I mean, I can't help but draw like a little bit of a Adam and Eve parallel. Oh, absolutely. With her doing what she does and and Leto. And then you have, she's going against, she's taking of the forbidden fruit essentially. And I don't know. That's one of the reasons I think it's good. I mean, for me, essentially. Oh, absolutely. Like there's unquestionable parallels to Arabic religions and mm-hmm. all kinds, all there's Buddhist parallels in certain aspects. And it it is undeniable that Herbert like pulled from all these things to try and like make this like, <laughs> like centerfold novel that is like at the middle of all of that yeah. was the, I think that largely the attempt and definitely makes for a lot of very rich, interesting lore. I think some of the best uh, parallels to things go towards the Middle East and some. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars undoubtedly has elements of that in its lore and multiple other things also draw parallels. I actually have a quote I'll hold off till later, but it goes towards that end. Wouldn't uh, they also, like, didn't the Villeneuve's, didn't they shoot it in the same locations as Lawrence of Arabia? Or did I? Yeah, there were, I know that they were looking at them at least. Oh, they were, how okay. much of that made it? to the final film i'm not sure uh, yeah i think i'm pretty sure you're right I, I i could be wrong i usually i see i'm still not studying i'm keeping with the format here unlike you <laughs> we've, we have notes. kind of flipped roles you're usually more the more uh, <laughs> more prepared than i but yes continue so yeah back to what we were saying about lady jessica and the Bene Gesserit. it's in it's in like some of some of the the sub readings that the Bene Gesserit only allow or tolerate love where it causes no immediate and obvious disruptions to their schemings or plans and that love in the ways that it warms through as it's unexpected can cloud reason and divert um the sisterhood from their duties mm-hmm. it's, it's largely seen as ironically enough as they use drugs to achieve their their goals it's seen as like a drug and a distraction yeah yeah we talked about the big reveal and that's once paul realizes this that he's sent with a lot of conflict and a lot of internal turmoil. He, he starts looking, as he continues looking into the future with limited view of prescience, he, he starts looking at the Harkonnens less as villains. He starts looking as, at the Imperium mm-hmm. less as villains. He's, he's more trying to bring a unified balance to all of it. Yeah. So less, less so he's like trying to kill his enemies. He's now trying to bring a balance across yeah. everything. And that's... That's a key. You mentioned Buddhism, like a Buddhist like type thing before. Yeah. I'm, I, again, I am no Buddhist scribe. Let's just let me get this out 
right away. I know most of my Buddhism knowledge comes from Harold Ramis. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm just some idiot who's saying things <laughs> through a microphone right now. Anyway, what with you were saying with like bringing that balance in. I, I'm thinking of another popular like fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Buddhist oh, yeah. themes are like very heavy in that, and it's similar in the sense that yeah, when you look at Dune, that that ability to to try and bring balance to a, a civilization or a world is is difficult if you yourself have not achieved your own balance. So it kind of goes yeah. both ways, I think, and that's one of the things I think that Paul Paul Atreides struggles with throughout the Dune series. Yeah, he wrestles with the demons he sees in his own future, and he's trying to level all of that out to make himself a better person, even though mm-hmm. there's an inevitability in that, that he doesn't even see. The fall of House Atreides occurred. I kind of glanced over that in the previous episode because I figured most people, if they're into Dune, they know the basic plot structure. I'm not going to yeah. spoon feed every plot point to them. I more wanted to dig into like the hard to understand stuff, like the the like robust parts of the lore that are very complex, mm-hmm. and try and dip a toe into that stuff. Yeah, let's so. do it let's let's dip this let's dip um, this foot right in there dip the old the toe in the old water life. shove it in uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a mental thing <laughs> <laughs> um so as lady jessica and paul are emerging out of the desert they've been chased by the sandworm after escaping the fall of house atreides mm-hmm. and the retake of arrakis from the harkonnen house uh they come upon the fremen eventually and we start to slowly learn all like the deep aspects of the fremen which are very very like stewed in arabic culture and a lot of like different middle east middle eastern history and a lot of honestly well-researched things there's even a lot of arabic terms muadib itself is an actual arabic term i mean it definitely has that similar feel to it i think even in in the culture of the fremen yeah and and the way the way it just it, it it i mean and that's and that i think it makes it adds that sense of complexity to it that's not the right word i'm looking for but. yeah well no it's correct it's fair though i mean the fremen are a very complex culture and they by design you're kind of meant to struggle to try and understand them they're mm-hmm. they're, they're meant to be a mystery even within this world to uh, the the harkonnens know almost nothing about them and don't care yeah they just look at them as it's kind interesting of like a pest. too like how you think about how from a standpoint of humanity this is we talked about it last time this is the year 10,000 so-and-so. 191. 191, thank you. So well over 8,000 years from now, supposedly. And you think about how would how would evolution change based on the uh, the human race propagating out into the stars? What, what well, that also kind of gets into the area of God Emperor. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, talking. sorry. I, was, I, was, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. trying to get there too quick, but oh, I was trying to go with like, no, uh, that's like fair. the blue eyes that the Fremen have. Yeah, but which is it, the blue. They're referred to in the novel as blue in blue, and I think yeah. that that's in reference to the fact that they're the irises and the whites of the eyes collectively all showing this shade, and it's this alteration, mm-hmm. and which is is strange biologically because normally things don't affect eyes that way, so it's yeah. seen as something very super normal. But uh, it, I always just find that interesting that you can start to branch off how a species can branch off from one another and become and have different attributes you see it in like how 
the Fremen wear their still suits. Yeah. How they have it, how the fact that the spitting in, in the movie, that's considered yeah. <laughs> an honor to do the that. Cultural yeah, the cultural differences. Little things like that I think are great. Little details. Like, obviously, if someone spits on you in our world, it's like, oh, well, yeah. But, you know. You scoff if, at it and you're yeah, like, oh, it's you a great it, insult. If you do it in there, it's considered a gift because I'm giving you the, the, the water that's in my body because there's no water here to be had water is so absurdly sacred on uh, arrakis um, that it's looked at as yeah just something an, to, i don't know that, that's the fact one that thing you would give water dune anytime i'm reading it is how, how how things like the environment makes a species branch off culturally physically whatever but yeah yeah and it's i think that that's looked at very heavily in how the 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 story of the fremen was crafted mm-hmm. there's the, the blue and blue eyes and then we well, also uh, the the biggest part of book two of book of the first book of dune it's just so complicated to say mm-hmm. it that way but that's what it is the second half of the first novel of dune one of the biggest elements in it is this water of life that is like a, this hyper hyper drug <laughs> insane drug uh-huh. that heightens prescience to an, an absurd level and because paul is so sensitive to spice and these psychoactive elements he He's like launched into this like advanced, like can see everything version of prescience. And he is told not to take the water of life. There's a lot of elements to the water of life. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Paul takes the water of life and then he gets launched into this advanced element of prescience. He's then by all accounts, the Kwisatz Haderach. There's like no denying that he is. He has now ordered the Quiznos sub. (laughs) He has ordered the Quiznos sub. He is, he, he is the Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) And when they arrive to Siege Tabir, Lady Jessica also takes the water of life, and she is still at this point pregnant with her her unborn daughter Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. And Aaliyah is very important to Book do- Two of Dune One. <laughs> it's <laughs> never going to not be funny to say it that way. <laughs> Dune Two, oh man. <laughs> you can't even say the title of the I book. Know, yeah. It's that complex. Um, uh, but yeah, Ilya is an extremely important character in this second half of Dune 1. She is, because a, Jessica takes the water of life, she becomes this quote-unquote abomination to the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. She's something that they would never allow to exist. She's a totally conscious and sentient, ch- born, like pre-born child. And, and what a, not interrupt slightly. No, go ahead. What a... What a risk, like, narrative-wise to take in terms of, like, dude, and I'm not just talking the first book, but, like, the series. Like, I mean, you never want to say a story is kind of just things happening, but when I think about it, Dune kind of is, but in a good way. In the best way. Yeah, in the best way. Like, in the best way, it is just things happening. You know, like, this would be one you'd be very hard to fit uh, some of the structures we talked about in previous episodes onto. Like, I just don't know. Like, yes, the elements are there, but... In the beginning, but as you start to get past that beginning, the the traditional structure, it kind of then just becomes it really like branch branches off and becomes like its own thing. You got all these new other characters coming in and all these other things happening. It it really it really becomes a a a a, a kindly monster unto itself. Yeah, and I, I think the the complexity is trying to make this world feel very big mm-hmm. on one level, but on another, it's it's amping up the importance of this prescience. It's and I think the amount of layers that you see into this world, they're trying to get you into Paul's mind of knowing everything. The amount of detail that's left in the book, I think mm-hmm. they're trying to give you that sense of knowing all and seeing. All. Yeah, and there, and it's not it doesn't even have that like sort of episodic week to week feel in the books. Not at all. It all just kind of flows together. 
Yeah, like it, it, there, there is a very unique feel to Dune's structure, if I can even use that word for it. Even when I think of one, my favorite book of all time, Lord of the Rings, which I mm-hmm. constantly talk about. I'm sorry. Even that, no, yeah. even that has we're, we're overdue on that front for doing this. Yeah, no, that even that has a sort of prescribed beginning and ending. Obviously, Dune does too, but not in the sense like I, I don't think you can necessarily always see where it's going. Yeah, I agree. It's it's murky. In, in its complexity as yeah. much as it's you know, it to, it's one thing to read it it's another thing to fully understand mm-hmm. it and it, it it's because it's so deep and so complex I've been trying for years to get a firm grasp on dune and I just still don't feel like I fully understand it Move, moving forward with uh lady Jessica uh, they the water of life she she brings about Ilea and this abomination Ilea was birthed with full adult sentience mm-hmm. she knows that this insane amount of things she's very articulate and can communicate herself born child it's, it's kind of insane it's it's the first like truly weird thing in dune like there's yeah. a lot of weird things but it's like the first like jarringly oh this is odd yeah <laughs> like like there are things like they're like the the spacing guild and the deformities is one thing but then like you deal with like brain altering a fetus mm-hmm. you're in another stratosphere of weird yeah, it, it definitely and, enters a different stage and this is like the one thing because it's so intrinsically tied to the plot structure you can't avoid this in any adaptation. This is why, like, I think that this one particularly is interesting because at least I know Villeneuve is trying to make it a more grounded version of Dune and it's it's yeah. being received by wider audiences, which is awesome. But this is, like, the first, like, truly weird thing that he's not going to be able to avoid and it's <laughs> going to be interesting to see how they deal with that. The, the, there's many other elements to the Fremen culture as they meet up with them. The, the classic scene between Paul and the fight of his fight with Jameis that first proves himself mm-hmm. to the Fremen. There's an interesting element that they left out of that first part that I thought was interesting. And it's particularly in relation to the crease knife, the, the tooth of Shai Halud. Yeah. These knives, there's something very interesting in the books that the, the way that they're described, the Fremen always keep them on their person in close proximity attached to themselves because there's an element of the Chris knife that, if they don't keep it near themselves in 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 fairly constant physical contact with themselves, the Chris knife can actually wither and perish. Like it can shatter and an advanced version of bones, like yeah, dust in the wind kind of thing. And I think it's very interesting towards the end of the book that it, it's it's better described throughout. But at the end of the story, <laughs> Paul gives a very grave insult to Fade and saying that may thy life chip and shatter. That's what that's directly referencing. It's saying that you, he would be so ignorant towards his tool that he wouldn't properly mm-hmm. handle it. it yeah. Chip and shatter. Well, He's I, basically directly insulting. I think that sort of points back to one of the first things. Don't don't know machines in the likeness of a human mind. You're yeah. saying like a better man does not need the the full help of a machine to accomplish something. So that, that once direct again, care of a yeah, very simple care tool. Of your tool is is I think an important aspect of of being human. How to, how you care for not just your own things, but the, of those around you and stuff like that. Also, your own well being. I mean, yeah. on the, the extreme conditions of Arrakis, something as simple as staying hydrated is of extreme importance because there is, you've even lightly neglected. Yeah, there is certainly. This kind of goes back to what I was saying before. There is certainly like that sort of biblical style to Dune in a way that it yeah reads and works. On multiple levels, like through multiple religions, yeah. because it draws from all these different sources. Yeah, and then, so Lady Jessica takes the place of the Missionera Protectiva, 
which is the fr- basically the Fre- Fremen version of the Reverend Mother. They have kind of their own Bene Gesserit mothers in in their midst, and she can in her own mind she's conspiring to preserve her family. But they would accept her anyway. But she doesn't know that as Paul does so that they're go- they're already going to accept her. And there's a bit of a cause effect paradox type thing there that happens so it's like you don't really know what angles to believe that from but she for all intents and purposes she takes the place of the missionary protectiva she becomes the reverend mother of this particular segment of the fremen and she takes this water of life alia happens and she has she starts having futuristic visions of her own she's playing this whole other game of conspiring to try and Paul safe, even though he's already going to be safe, but to whatever, to what level of that is influence is largely up to, up to you as an interpreter. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And part of, I said, I stated before the, the weirding way, part of why they were accepted into siege to mm-hmm. was that, Lady Jessica promised Stilgar that she would teach the Fremen warriors the weirding way, which is a very particular style of fighting. And this is how we get the Fadakin warriors who Paul himself has taught the weirding way to, Lady Jessica has taught the weirding way to, and they're a very deadly force that help in the coming conflict as Almost the Fremen an unstoppable fight to force. take over. Yeah. Which I think is the no, point. No, yeah, the whole thing is that the Sardaukar warriors are not the perfect warriors in the galaxy, but they're in numbers enough. And that was partly how they were able to overpower the Atreides, who were the perceived like unstoppable force at that point. They were just so well-trained by Duncan Idaho and Gurney Halleck. Mm-hmm. But Sardauk- between the Sardaukar warriors and the Harkonnen, they had the numbers to basically just overpower them in the ambush fight that happens midway through the first book. Chani is an interesting character. I didn't touch on Chani because she's not as prevalent in that first book. They don't, they, the visions of Chani are fairly important leading up to that because they're just nudging at prescience, yeah. but Paul's looking into the future. But Chani in the book is very different from how she's portrayed in at least the Villeneuve take. Mm-hmm. She's very accepting of Paul in the book. She's, she's, accepts him as the Lisa and Gal- Algans, like so excited to meet him kind of stuff. We find out that she's the daughter of Liet Kynes, the ecologist who is studying Arrakis and has bec- is part of the Imperium, but she slash he. So she's, uh-huh. a, she's a she in the Villeneuve tape, uh-huh. but a he in the book. And sh- he, she is looking to terraform Arrakis in the book, which is, there's a lot to that and a lot of long history within the Fremen of of the fact that they know that there's water and there's a whole thing. That's a long spiral. But there was an there was an effort up until spice was discovered to try and terraform Arrakis, mm-hmm. but they gave up on it because they realized that that would screw with the spice production. Yeah. Is the short and simple of. Yeah, we can't. Because we can't fix something if it's making us Because money. the spice must flow. <laughs> Don't you know? The spice must flow. Yeah, and as, as Paul becomes more and more part of the Fremen, it becomes pressure on him to fully join their society, and the final test of that is for him to ride Shai Halud, ride the sandworm. Mm-hmm. And it was a massive moment in the book, hilarious moment in the David Lynch version because you can definitely tell it's shot on stage. Yep. It's so funny. <laughs> what? A, but let's not. Let, I mean, the, the rock opera music in the David Lynch one, like by Toto, right? Yeah, like I think so. Yes, I believe. I believe so. But yeah, uh, that is one oh. thing. Every time I see, even like even in the beginning when the title comes up. <laughs> I, I do still enjoy that. So good. <laughs> yeah, like for for all the mocking I do of 
of the David Lynch version. It it is like amazing how much they crammed into a yeah. two and a half hour movie. No, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Ran the same runtime for the first half of that book and still didn't get it all in there. <laughs> so I think that they did pretty well, all things considered. Yeah. Also, also that Lynch didn't have Final Cut, which is a tough way to direct. Yeah, but yeah, he he goes through the process of writing the Sandworm and in in. Doing so, he they he's attracting a worm and with the the thumper, mm-hmm. and a much more massive worm appears than he feels capable to ride, <laughs> and he achieves this nonetheless. And it really it's like an ironclad proof to the fremen that he's he's a big deal. Yeah, it's a it's that and, it's that another sign that they're looking out for. Which I, correct me if I'm wrong, but those signs are planted essentially by the Bene Gesserit. No, like largely within the the history yeah. but they uh, they have also it's kind of like it's an, another chicken and the egg situation because yeah. the, you know, like how much of the have they seen to be the case mm-hmm. it's like which came first yeah. their their visions of it or paul's doing paul's you know, doing it's, yeah it's, yeah yeah it's a it's a little murky mm-hmm. a lot a lot of a lot of dune is murky complexity yeah. and trying to understand it you'll break your head <laughs> <laughs> or, or turn into a worm yourself or turn into leto too uh. Or turn into Jared Leto. No. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I, oh, dude! If they do, if they do, God Emperor, they should cast <laughs> Jared Leto. That'd be so funny. I honestly, I, God, I'd watch I the hell out of it. That, that, that I, I, but yes, I agree. You've unlocked a need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've gone into Ilya a little bit. The the Fremen refer to her as a child, but not a child. She talks of things that only adults should understand. Paul's war, largely described in the books as a freeing of the human genome because it's this deterrent from the plans of the Bene Gesserits, this deviation. So as Paul's like wrestling with these different timelines of where he's trying to guide things, he does take that into account that it's it's this total denial of this locked pre-plan that the Bene Gesserit have. Yeah. And it's it would be the first time that the human genome would be allowed to be freed and act in the way it's going to go to a natural flow as opposed to being guided and controlled. Yeah. So that, I think that there's like it, it just throws like that extra layer into it that there's there's a lot to consider from all these different angles. And it's like it's it's interesting because like no one thing is really right. And well, yeah, both have their their advantages and disadvantages obviously if you look at control it's well it's control you're you're trying to predetermine something that arguably you don't have nothing gives you the right to do but it can also prevent unseen tragedies from ever occurring whereas yeah with with the case of the war i mean paul is basically committing a genocide no 100 percent, he's committing genocide so yeah and then if you do the thing where it's left to its own devices sure you have that freedom but then that freedom can lead to terrible, terrible For, things. Yeah. It's, it's like the cosmic catch 22. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's no right answer here. <laughs> and it's interesting because as, as Paul gets in with the Fremen, um, they become aware of a spice smuggling ring that they tried to take control of. And then doing so, they come to understand that it is actually Gurney Halleck that is running this. Yeah. Um, formerly from house Atreides, also known as captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> So one of one of the research materials that I was going through, they have a bunch of concept art like drawn up with the characters from the Lynch Dune, but like yeah. in these crazy like 
like <laughs> gentleman broncos level absurdity so i'm just looking at like picard in this with this long flowing gray hair with his still bald uh-huh. head <laughs> and, like, i'm just like laughing my ass off because it's so like absurd looking it's he's like he's like riding into battle with this long flowing mane and the blue eyes and i'm like this is just like the most absurd thing i've ever yeah. seen <laughs> but sir patrick stewart does it too phenomenal degree let's, let's uh, he, just he did that. do a great job in that role uh, honestly like i like i said before as much as i knock the lynch dune i really do enjoy it it's, yeah it's one of those that it, for all its for all its faults it does achieve quite a it, bit it grows on you and you you come to enjoy it for what it is when you have the added context of the books yeah. i think it 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 gets better mm-hmm. better because it's, it's skipping out on a lot of that context which i think where are where it fails the most but once you have the book as a backing to it it's much better yeah and also like, i didn't want to get into it too early but the introduction of fade routh yes there was an sting element i didn't him, i didn't include himself. from the sting himself <laughs> yeah the, it, what an interesting casting mm-hmm. but well it was the 80s I, right yeah, and uh, I th- there there was an element to that I forget, but there was something that was like interesting to his casting. I don't know. If, I'll remember it for part three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there there's not going to be a part three at least <laughs> this, this soon. <laughs> Just to be perfectly clear for our listeners, there is no part three. It's merely a joke. <laughs> but there 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 is an interesting aspect of the Baron's character that I didn't include last week, and that's that he's basically a giant pedophile. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's actually kind of in, kind of interesting that that hasn't been ever touched in any of the adaptations. No, yeah, I mean, I, I can, of, I can of understand why. Yeah, but it, it's 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 kind of important though, which is what I think is interesting. Yeah. It's it's a main driving force bef- behind his interest in Fade, and he Fade actually tries to kill the Baron, mm-hmm. but like that doesn't really war. That only heightens his intrigue and what he what he's season fade is all the savagery and the deceptiveness and the cunning that he look he's looking for in a in a future leader of house harkonnen so he looks at fade once he fully understands who fade is as the future of house harkonnen because at the at that time also i mean raban has completely failed him as a nephew he has squandered the rule of arrakis Mm -hmm. he has not achieved what the baron tried him he 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 set has set him about to do and he comes back to gaiety prime a total failure lose having lost control of spice production well spice export through these these smuggling rings and all this chaos that paul Paul is largely behind and raban is all but totally cast aside Mm -hmm. as as the potential future of house harkonnen and the baron actually has a plan of this following succession, he actually has, and he's intending to put in place the Mentat Piter to lead Rackus, knowing that he will fail. The plan is for him to fail and eventually supplant him. And this just shows the cunning and the deep thought processes of the Baron. He's constantly warming, working his way through how he's going to have all this shake out 10 and 20 and 30 steps ahead. Raban fails the Baron miserably. He ends up with his head chopped off <laughs> on display to the Baron uh, as a mark of his failures from the Emperor. You're thinking about that when you were saying about Fade, Duke, Karkonen, and all that. One of the things I, I think, too, that Dune does well is this is much more. I think this goes back to why I was saying it sometimes feels like things are just happening. The characters do feel, even though there's all that fate and destiny going on, the characters do feel empowered or at least that yeah. they're making their own decisions. And that's kind of how it becomes that, that that 
kindly monster that I talked about in terms of the story and the overall narrative. It, it's yeah. more it's more character driven than I think I originally gave it credit for in since I've originally seen it and read it. I would say that it's largely character driven. It's it's one of those ones that rides that line between plot and character. We've made that distinction before mm-hmm. where one stories tend to go between the both, but this is one of those ones that kind of is closer to that line. Yeah. I think it's more on the side of character, but it's definitely more in the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so Fade is a very important character. He's He quickly becomes the most important right hand of the Baron House Harkonnen at the time that all this is culminating to its climax. All the story is coming to the end. Oh yeah, Baron. As, I yeah, said as I said, before, uh, I meant Baron. Go ahead. That's okay. I, I, I wasn't going to correct you. I didn't know what you meant. Yeah, he, he, as Fade tries to kill the Baron, he only sees him as, as more and more of all the things he embodies as a good leader and also kind of creepily loves him. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way you said um, that. Yeah, the, the, it's true. <laughs> yeah, and as, as the Fremen and Paul slowly gain control of the spice smuggling, the spacing guild starts to disavow the emperor. The emperor is slowly losing control. It's this this gradual of all these different things coming to a head, and it's kind of like one you watching one domino fall after the other of this loss of control for the emperor. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to watch it all unfold. And like I said before, there's a lot of layers of complexity to how this all comes down. The spacing guild really did not want it to come to this. They, especially in the earlier parts of the the book, you see the emperor fight like not having disagreed agreements with the space and guild in their meeting especially yeah they stress so heavily to him that they do not want paul to be allowed to live because they have seen this future and they want to avoid it which you would think if that be the case they would make absolutely certain like like it's like it'd be, it'd be do it the old school way like i gotta see his head you gotta bring me this guy's head for me to know that he's dead yeah yeah they they are very determined that to to want this avoided and that's what they go to extreme lengths on all the of from all these different groups from from the emperor from the space and guild they come down on arrakis from all these different angles but because of the smuggling the spice is still getting out and paul is largely the one that's being in control of the spice at a certain point mm-hmm. And once that happens, the Emperor loses the allegiance of the Space Engine, which is extremely important. But their allegiance lies to whoever controls the Spice. spice. That is the most important thing. I think it's directly stated in the book as the Space Engine obeys he who controls the Spice. And once Paul is that person, they're the the navigators. The, The Emperor literally can't even leave. Yeah. So that they have, in every sense of the word, backed the Imperium into a corner, and they've they've landed on Arrakis. So the the bulk of their influence is housed there now. So once they take over Arakin, which is where the Emperor is dwelling, they essentially have him forced into the proverbial corner, and he can't do anything. And Paul himself, I don't like I don't want to blow all the plot points for the ending for anybody who might have read or seen, Mm-mm. but no, do it. Well, I, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about, like just going into this is more from the film side, uh, just yeah. the, the well, the book to the navigators. Um, there are, if I remember correctly, there's different sort of transformational stages of them, correct? Like as they become more, yeah, and more so exposed. Th- I just remember being so weirded out and frightened as a kid of the David Lynch navigator yeah. in the beginning. He comes well, it's in. It's so that- different. It's so different than it is in the book. Cause in the book, they're basically described as like almost like humanoid dolphins. Yeah. They're like trans, they're like gaining flippers and they're kept in tanks because they're becoming hybridized with liquid form and stuff. Yeah. But it's it, Lynch takes it to like a Cronenberg. Level. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, it definitely like has absurd. that. Yeah. It definitely like, has that Cronenberg feel. And like when they come in and, 
and just the way he's like kind of talking to them through like the 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 respirator or like when you're like talking through like a, a, te- a bank teller almost when yeah. you're like you're outside at, the, at like the atm and you're putting the thing in the old vacuum slot and like eh, how's your day going and and then you just they talk back like through the microphone outside it's like that's kind of how he sounds with like a little bit of that respirator noise thrown in like he's hooked up to something which technically he is yeah but that was always i mean the, the production design for the 1980s dune i gotta give it to him and how they did it without the use of computers i mean a lot of miniature work yeah maybe not the top notch 80s miniature work but like an insane amount of it yeah <laughs> like some of the shots and how they composed it is like like i you you wouldn't do that again today, I don't feel, because it would just take too long. There's no way I'd, I, you'd have to. I think it's just more efficient to do it more, more, more roots. Yeah. I'd mentioned a quote before that I wanted to bring up yes. in re- relation to science fiction fantasy novels that I thought was very interesting because this very much falls in line with it. And that's that uh, the savior who will lead his adopted people to salvation through violent means. A lot of science fiction and fantasy stories tend to follow that structure. Yeah. And I like once I read that and I started thinking about it, I'm like, wow, a surprising amount. Well, a lot of, of stories I can think well, of a just lot off of the heroic bat. stories. <laughs> there's that there's that transition of, of violence that or that yeah. transition happens through the guise of violence. And was well, typically like we were talking in comparison to biblical tales, mm-hmm. like typically through biblical tales, it's not through violent means. It's a similar structure, but not just very particularly not through violent means. And I'm like the, the, the reversal there is something interesting, mm-hmm. but yeah, like Aragorn and Lord of the Rings follows that structure. Daenerys Targaryen game of Thrones mm-hmm. franchise yeah. follows that structure. Uh, I was even thinking Dorothy, about movies Dorothy like Oblivion in, in the wizard of Oz follows that. I mean, it, honestly, yeah. I mean, there, there is always something to be said about how, the climax of a of a journey of a story ends in violence, as like Scar said in Lion King, must it all end in violence? Yeah, I, I mean it is. Is that and does that call into our nature as as human beings? Are we just are we just inherently violent? Are we no different really than animals? We're just we like to think we are, but truly we're not. And I think that plays into Frank Herbert's themes of damning the human spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at human beings through this very negative lens. I, I don't think that that's sold as well in the first book as it is down the road, yeah. but I think it's better contextualized in the second novel, Children of Dune and God Emperor, because God Emperor really is just like a reflection of everything that has been and will be yeah. in this storyline. But that's, that's a joke. I don't want to... That's a, but no, yeah, there's that quality time. of... I don't ever want to say violence is necessary. That's terrible. But it, it it makes you think of like, does nature just have an inherent violence to it? Or what we would deem violent? I mean, chaotic. I mean, you look at, is a supernova violent? I mean, yeah, I'd say that's an accurate description for something happening out in space. It's a violent explosion happening. And God knows what it's destroying in its path. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, this is what, this no, is yeah, what there, there is to you, something to that. You, I mean, if you want to have the equivalent of a book <laughs> of a, of a mushroom trip that is in the form of a book, I yeah. feel like this is as close as you can get without actually doing it. It is very druggy sounding to say, but it is a mentally expanding narrative. Yeah. Like it makes you think about a lot of things mm-hmm. and especially just from the nature of the people of this world are so focused on and so dogmatically centered around ex- mental expansion. Yeah. Every facet of this world is obsessed with it. 
And as all these elements converge on the the central climax of the book, all these different elements are coming together at once. Mm-hmm. You have the big fight with Fade. The Emperor is basically commanding Fade at this point. Ilea has already, uh, spoiler warning, uh, Ilea <laughs> has already killed the Baron at this point. He's Gonzo. So Fade is essentially the lead of House Harkonnen. And when that fails, the Emperor's last ditch effort is to send in Fenering to try and stop Paul. And f- who Fenering is, is one of the other Bene Gesserit potentials for the Kwisatz Haderach. But of course, he inevitably fails as well. Yep. And the Emperor is left standing there with nothing. He has nothing to protect himself against Paul. And Paul essentially claims the throne. And from there, the book just sort of ends. <laughs> no, it, 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 it kind of yeah. just drops off a cliffhanger, really. And I think that it kind of leaves the audience with this kind of existential feeling a little bit mm-hmm. with how it just kind of falls right off. Yeah, it just, yeah. And it's, and it's a, cause there's not even like a, it has that abrupt, it is abrupt in the ending of how it happens. And if you think about it, you're almost not sure. Well, I guess you're not really supposed to like cheer, but you have that conflict of like, am I supposed to, am I supposed to be like thrilled and awed and huzzah for, for Paul or, or not? Yeah, it, traditionally, we're I think we're conditioned yeah. to root for Paul as a hero, heroic character, even though that's not what he is intended mm-hmm. to be. And I think over the years, there have been p- mixed interpretations of it on that front because people tend to want to root for the central character of the story. But yeah. as we have, as an audience have had contact with Frank Herbert prior to his, his, his demise, we understand that the story of Dune is intended to be a damning indictment of the human spirit. We're meant to look at all this violence and all this turmoil in a negative light. It is not meant to be revered. Yeah, if anything, it's it's supposed to challenge you to think critically and think a little bit harder about these issues rather than romant- how they can get romanticized in, in a more traditional sense. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting. And inevitably, Paul is entered into a very political marriage with Princess Irulan, who is the Emperor's oldest daughter. He has no sons, as we said in the last episode. And Paul reassures Chani that this marriage to Irulan is just purely a political ploy to get get the throne, get the Imperium under his thumb. And Paul was aware of fact, lobbied all these positions to gain the whole Imperium under his thumb, and he uh-huh. now has that. And the dramatic implications of that come to a head in the following books, and you see the, the real cost mm-hmm. of what that means and how attaining power is never truly really a good thing. Yeah, I, th- I think that the consequences of those actions are sent forward tenfold in Messiah. And what that, that's a topic for another time, but it is, especially through the, <laughs> the act of Breezians, it's, it's, it's interesting how the, those, those elements and those themes come into play, mm-hmm. as, as especially reflecting backwards on every four. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely, right now. We, d- I didn't once through this whole thing talk about Duncan Idaho. How the hell did I avoid that? <laughs> no, you mentioned him. You mentioned him a few times. Did I? Okay. I don't think we got into his character. I, yeah. So, I mean, he comes into play further. His sacrifice, as he plays into this, he, his sacrifice is very interesting. Yeah. Which I, I didn't, they don't really touch on that in the Lynch version, do they? They like, they introduce him and everything. Yeah, but I don't think we there, see his sacrifice. It's, I haven't seen the they Lynch just version, glance over version it. in a little while now. I watched it a few weeks ago, but I was very tired when I watched it. <laughs> I think that Frank Herbert's, at least his original book of Dune, the first one as it stands, I think will hold up for a long time as one of the hallmarks of science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think it is a, a very 
if not anything else, it is a very interesting read. Yeah. And it's got a lot of deep layers of complexity. It's 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 like we've described before. It's that feast of lore. It is a lot to dig into and a lot to try and wrap your head around. And I think that the central themes of it, though very dark, are worth looking at. I yeah. think it is a very interesting look at humanity. And I think it spurs a lot of very important questions about who we are. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So yeah, I, I knowing going into it that it's a very meaty, very heavy topic, I, I do recommend Frank Herbert's Dune if you're looking for something that is a heavy read, but of a good one. And as I did last week, I will include some of our research materials in the description below. I'll link in a few of the podcasts that I've listened to in the past that I've really liked in regards to Dune uh, and have found to be some very helpful resources. So if anybody wants to take a look at those, they'll be there. Yeah, Dune's good. Dune, good book. It's a good <laughs> book. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am excited for Villeneuve's take. I am interested to see what he does with it. I know that there's plans to change up Johnny's character and then alter some elements yeah. of, of the storyline. I know that they've limited a lot of things for the sake of time, which is more than understandable. It's a it's a hefty, meaty book. So, I mean, no, no matter how you slice it, you got to... Yeah, and the keyword out, it is an adaptation. Yeah, it has to fit into his style yeah. and everything. So that being said, I'm excited for it I, just to see what he does with it. I know there are plans. I read a few weeks back that he is actually in talks with Warner Brothers to adapt Dune Messiah. So that only leads us yet another book closer to God Emperor being adapted for the oh, big screens. <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see, see what if, happens. Uh, down, down the road if that actually becomes a reality. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see. But I, the dark nature of Dune Messiah coming to big screens, I think, will be a very interesting watch as yeah. well. No, give it, give, give, give it a read. Give it a shot. Yeah, worth, worth a look. Dune to that. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> cut that. Cut that out. <laughs>